What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clips Convo Show, a podcast by the Sporting Tribune, where we break down everything you need to know about the LA Clippers. I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and I'm super excited to be back with you guys here on this Monday, a rainy Monday out here in LA. Really the first uh, rainy day, the last couple of days have been the first rainy days we've had in a long time. Uh, so it's a good day for basketball. Whenever it's raining outside, it's always nice to get inside of a warm gym and watch some hoops. And that's what we're going to do here tonight because the Clippers do have a game today against the Boston Celtics. Now, I'm super excited for this game because for whatever reason, the Clippers and the Celtics, regardless of who's played, they have delivered absolute incredible games the last few seasons. And, you know, you could say it's because Kawhi and PG and, and Tatum and Brown are so similar. But in all honesty, like there's been games where one or two or three or even four of those guys are all out and the Clippers and Celtics have still delivered a fantastic contest. So I'm super excited for that today. Uh, not only will it be the Clippers uh, versus Celtics, but Blake should be in the starting lineup for Boston. He's been starting uh, in the absence of Al Horford, who is remaining out for this game as is Rob Williams. So Blake should be the starting center, which should be pretty cool. It's only the second time that Blake has started uh, against the Clippers in LA. Uh, the other time of course was back in January of 2019 when he put up 44 in that revenge game. I was in the building for that as well. So I'm super excited for this game uh, for a lot of different reasons. I think it'll be a great test for the Clippers against an opponent that, you know, in all honesty, the way things are looking right now, if the Clippers want to win a championship, they may have to go through. So uh, that is tonight, but before we get into that game, I do want to do what we uh, have have developed over the last few weeks on this pod, and that's look back at the games that the Clippers have played since we last spoke. And while you know there are times where if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are out, or if I just felt like the games aren't really that worth uh, diving into, we can kind of speed past this part of the podcast, but I do think that the last four games are worth looking at in a little bit more detail than perhaps we normally would uh, because I think we saw a lot of things that need to be addressed because Kawhi Leonard and Paul George made their return in that Charlotte game, which was the first game of the road trip. And it was funny. I released a podcast on that day as well. And that podcast, uh, if you listen to it, you know, you know, but it was all about this, the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George situation about how those two guys uh, hadn't been playing. You know, those two guys were, out of the lineup for two weeks at that point, two, three weeks at that point with, you know, what seemed like minor injuries, especially considering the way the Clippers had talked about them, uh, you know, with these guys reportedly being fine and then being out for multiple weeks at a time. The whole, that whole episode was about that. And I knew that those guys were probably coming back that game. So it wasn't like I was caught off guard by that. Um, but we haven't had any uh, dialogue with each other since that game or really since before that game so we we haven't talked about the returns of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George which is something that I want to do here today because we did see Kawhi and PG together as a duo in three of those four games Kawhi of course did not play the Miami game because it was a back-to-back -back. he did play the Orlando game which was unfortunately a loss as well the Clippers went two and two on that four game road trip which is definitely disappointing especially considering that they got Kawhi and PG back. Uh, it's tough because you look at those four teams that they played and you're thinking, you know, four and oh, three and one at the worst, right? Like that's, that's kind of what you're thinking, especially if you have Kawhi and PG back. 
And if you were to pencil in one loss, it would probably be the Miami game one, because they're just the best team on that trip. Although they actually haven't been that good this year. And then two, it was the second night of a back to back. So you figured you probably weren't going to have Kawhi Leonard, of course, with him playing in that Orlando game, we knew for sure that we weren't going to have Kawhi Leonard. So that was a frustrating road trip for the Clippers. Every single game was close, which again is a little bit concerning because even the two wins were not two wins that you come away feeling all that great about because they beat uh, not only a, a bad Charlotte's Horn, uh, Charlotte Hornets team, but a bad and shorthanded Charlotte Hornets team. And it took a Kawhi Leonard game-winning jump shot with one second left to go on the clock to take down those Hornets. And, you know, with, with the Clippers being as hurt as they've been, as inconsistent as they've been, you take wins however you can get them. But, you know, that being said, Kawhi and PG healthy, you don't want to have to play a dogfight with the Charlotte Hornets when you have a back-to-back coming up with Orlando and Miami. And that's exactly what happened. It went down to the wire. Fortunately, Kawhi made that shot, and they got a win. So you feel good about that. You you come away with the win. You're thinking, okay, we escaped that one. We're going to play the worst team in the league right now in the 5-20 and Orlando Magic. They are also banged up. They did not have, I believe they're missing Suggs uh, and one other key piece as well uh, for that game. And the Clippers, same thing. They just played down to the level of their competition, or or so we thought at that point. I'm going to get into that talking point a little bit about whether or not they're actually playing down to their competition or if they just aren't as good as as perhaps we expect them to be at this point. But we'll get into that in a little bit. So they're not playing well in that Orlando game. They actually did jump out to a pretty solid lead in the first quarter. I think it got to as many as 18. But even then, it just looked as if it was more Orlando being bad than it was the Clippers being good. Terrence Mann made some threes. Paul George made some shots in that first quarter. The shots were falling. They weren't for Orlando. But I tweeted it out after that first quarter. The Clippers could not get complacent. I said they should have a goal to end this game by halftime because they had a back-to-back the next day. And while we knew Kawhi was already not, you know, going to be playing in that game, uh, other guys were, you know, Reggie, uh, PG, other guys like that. You don't want them to have to overexert themselves on the first night of a back-to-back against a bad Orlando Magic team if you're going to have to go into Miami and, and face Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero and all those guys the very next night. Well, it's exactly what happened. Not only did the Clippers get stuck in a dogfight, but they went to overtime. And our biggest fear became true because they went to overtime and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were essentially out of minutes. They were both on minutes restrictions because they had just come back the game prior. Obviously, Kawhi uh, has been on a minutes restriction uh, essentially, really all season, not essentially. He's been on a minutes restriction all season. So you knew that those guys uh, didn't have a whole lot left in terms of available minutes. Ty Lue admitted after the game he was actually coaching off of a card that showed him which guys could play, uh, you know, which stretches of minutes and how many uh, minutes each guy could have. And when overtime rolled around, Kawhi had one minute left and Paul George had about one minute left. So neither of them started the overtime frame, and it kind of seemed as if the Clippers were just going to play it out uh, without them. But uh, because they both had a minute left with their minutes restriction, Tyloo brought them both back with about a minute left to play. Uh, but it was too little too late. At that point, Orlando had the momentum. They had the lead and they had the win. They eventually went on to win that game. And it was a tough one for the Clippers. I think that's definitely the worst loss of the season because while it's still early and you know, Kawhi and PG 
we're on minutes restrictions. And it just feels so fake having those guys sit uh, in overtime. And this feels like a very unserious way to approach a game like that, although it's just the way that their hands have been tied, um, you know, with the minutes restrictions and things of that nature. To lose that game on the front half of back-to-back after you already were in a dogfight with Charlotte the game before, it was incredibly frustrating to see that. And then they go into Miami, and you almost felt as if they had no chance against Miami, uh, not because Miami is some powerhouse, but they are a much better team than both Orlando and Charlotte, two teams who had the Clippers on the ropes. Orlando ended up actually winning. And then you go into Miami without Kawhi Leonard, and you're trying to beat Jimmy Butler and a Heat team who at home – uh, you know, when they get rolling, they're, they're tough to beat, although they have been disappointing so far this season. And that's what you saw. The Clippers kind of played a back and forth affair. Uh, again, Paul George had his moments where he looked great, had his moments where he didn't. And turnovers really killed the Clippers down the stretch of that game. And they ended up falling late and dropped to one and two on the road trip. So that was the first three games of the trip. And you're thinking, OK, this has the potential to be a disastrous road trip. If the Clippers go into Washington, John Wall's return game and lay another egg because the way that they had played the previous three games, you felt if they brought that effort against Washington, even a shorthanded Washington uh, Wizards team who's playing without Bradley Beal, is playing without Rudy Hachimura and is led by Kyle Kuzma, who's been playing great. But outside of Kuz and outside of uh, Porzingis, they don't have a whole lot on that team. So if you're the Clippers, you're going into that game thinking we have to win. And that's uh, not really the mentality that they seemingly approach that game with. They get into an, uh, a 10-0 hole to start the game. And you know, we found out after the game that the Clippers were perhaps trying a little bit too hard to get John Wall going. Because, of course, as I mentioned, that was his return to Washington in front of their fans for the first time since being traded. So perhaps you know they got a little bit too caught up in that moment. But I'm not quite sure that's an excuse either because, while of course, that was a great moment. And and Wall even said, you know, don't make this about me. We got to go win a ball game. Uh, the Clippers are in danger of, of dropping three very winnable games on a four-game road trip that was supposed to be fruitful for, that, fruitful for them with getting Kawhi Leonard and Paul George back. They come out with poor effort, get into a, a 10-0 hole, and pretty much play from behind all the way until the third quarter. And about midway through the third quarter, uh, Luke Kennard enters the game, and I don't want to give Luke all the credit because um, obviously it was a team effort, but at one point he was a plus 18 in a game the Clippers led by one. They were down big. He helped lead the comeback charge with some big threes, but as I continue to say about Luke, just his presence out there on the court is huge for everybody else because of the attention that he demands, and I completely agree with those. I've tweeted it out. I completely agree with those of you who think he needs more shots. He does need more shots, but it's not that he's being timid or passing up a ton of looks, teams are just being incredibly aggressive with him, especially off the ball when he's trying to move. So it's hard for him to get his looks. But in that same, uh, along those same lines, when Luke is getting guarded in that way, it opens things up for everybody else. And I think that's why you see runs like that happen when he gets in the game. So it was a big time run for the Clips. I think it was like 15-0 at one point. They end up retaking the lead and they kind of play a back and forth game up until the very end. We're kind of thinking, is it going to be two game winners for Kawhi on the uh, on the road trip? Because he obviously got the ball. Uh, I think it was on the right wing, about a step inside the three-point line with the game tied. And for whatever reason, and I get it, he's still Kawhi Leonard, but he had not been shooting well in that game. And they sent a very hard double at him, Washington did, and left Nicholas Batum open, who is probably the hottest clipper right now from downtown, 
and he drained the three that ended up standing and being the game winner. So the Clippers were able to escape Washington with a win, escape the road trip with a 2-2 two and two record. You still feel a little bit disappointed in that 2-2 two and two stretch considering the losses came to, one, a very bad Orlando Magic team and then a mediocre Miami Heat team. And while, I, like I said, I would have penciled in Miami as that one loss, I think you should have at worst gone 3-1 and one on that road trip. But 2-2 two and two is better than 1-3. and three. And with the Western Conference being as mediocre as it is right now, you got to find a way to get every single win you can because any sustained, I've seen, I've said this a lot, any sustained stretch of losses can drop you way down the standings and any sustained stretch of wins can really shoot you up to standings. So the Clippers did a good job escaping that Washington game with a win. Although I don't believe the effort. And again, I'm not hundred percent sure it's an effort thing. So I don't, I actually don't want to use that word. I'm going to say execution and I'm going to say level of play, the execution and the level of play that the Clippers had on that four game road trip. If you were to ask me, I will say that two and two stretch could very quickly turn into one and three or oh and four over their next four games. And you guys know that's what we do on here. We break down the games that have happened between this episode and the last episode and the games that will happen between this episode and the next episode. So that was their four game road trip. But now they have a four game homestand and you might be thinking, well, that's great news. They're back home. Of course, it's better to play at home. But uh, you're not playing Charlotte, Orlando, and Washington. Well, actually, you do get Washington at the end of this trip. But you're not playing the Charlottes and the Orlandos of the world on this trip. You got Boston tonight, the best team in basketball by, in my eyes, a pretty significant margin. Of course, Milwaukee uh, is right there in the standings. And, of course, Golden State just got them. They seem to be their kryptonite. Uh, They got them the other night. I believe that was Saturday. But uh, Boston looks to be playing a different game than everybody else right now. Joe Missoula has them playing great, historically efficient basketball right now, especially on the offensive end. And they are just blowing teams out of the water left and right. Uh, We saw them beat down on Phoenix uh, a few games ago. They beat them. I think they got up by like 45 at one point, ended up winning by 20 or 30. And they have just been on a crazy roll. Tatum uh, is certainly in the MVP conversation um, my guy Blake Griffin has been huge for them, filling in for Al Horford and with Robert uh, Robert Williams being out. Uh, Blake has been their starting center. They're five and one in the games that he starts. Uh, he's averaging like nine and seven in those starts, shooting like sixty three from the field, fifty five from deep. Like I think he's shooting even fifty from deep on the season. Of course, not on a lot of attempts, but he's been great in his role. Uh, Boston just seems to have that that momentum, that mojo, that that confidence right now that perhaps a team like the Clippers are lacking. But that said, these two teams always play very fun, very exciting matchups, and I expect nothing less than that here tonight. The Clippers will have to match their energy and intensity, and I think there is zero excuse not to uh, because this is, like I said, a big matchup for the Clippers. If they bring the same level of play that they delivered on that road trip into this four-game stretch starting here with Boston tonight, it will not go well for them. And they could quickly find themselves in the 10th seed, uh, looking up at nine other teams that they have to leapfrog in order to get optimal seeding going into the playoffs. And obviously that's way down the line, but still you don't want to dig yourself a hole because these games start mattering late in April when you're one game behind, you know, the four seed and home court advantage in the first round. And you're thinking, man, if only we would have won that Orlando game, or if only we would have won, you know, one of those OKC games, uh, these games matter, even though it's December, these games matter the same. They all count for one. So, The Clippers have to approach this four-game stretch 
uh, with the right mentality. Because after they play Boston, they go play Minnesota again at home. That is the front half of a back-to-back, which the back half being uh, Phoenix for that doubleheader uh, back-to-back. And I'm very interested to see how the Clippers approach that. Because while Minnesota is the inferior team, um, it may be a situation where they decide to play Kawhi Leonard in that game to avoid losing two. I think that's kind of what they did in the Miami game, and they lost two anyways. But when you see the way they approached that Orlando-Miami doubleheader, they had Kawhi Leonard, because obviously he's not going to play both. We know he's not going to play both. They had Kawhi Leonard play in the first half of that back-to-back against Orlando and then sit against Miami. In my eyes, this wasn't said explicitly, but the thought process had to be, let's secure a win against Orlando by playing Kawhi, and let's try to steal one without him against Miami. Well, they ended up losing both, and of course that plan uh, goes to waste, but I would I would anticipate a similar approach in this Minnesota-Phoenix back-to-back where they play Kawhi Leonard against Minnesota, try to beat them because they're the inferior opponent, and then I don't want to say forfeit against Phoenix, but if you go into a Phoenix game without Kawhi, a lot more difficult to win that game. Could I be wrong? Perhaps, and and do I want to be wrong? Honestly, kind of. I would rather see Kawhi play that Phoenix game than that Minnesota game, but I'm just not sure that's how the Clippers plan to approach it. And then after that, they they play Washington again at home. So this is a very defining four-game stretch for the Clippers. I think tonight will be kind of like a soul-searching moment for them where they see, okay, where are we at? How far away are we truly? Um, Because while anything can happen on any night, I mean, we literally just saw... uh, A Brooklyn Nets team resting like 12 dudes, including their big three, beat the Indiana Pacers, who had most of their rotation. So, I mean, anything could happen. You can't take too much away from these games. But if the Clippers, you know, if Boston puts it to the Clippers tonight, I I think it's going to be time for them to start asking some questions and say, okay, how far away are we really? Um, And if they play them tough, you know, win or lose, I think you feel pretty good about that because right now the Clippers – um, of course, they have the pieces, or, or so we think. They just haven't had a chance to get those pieces together on the floor for a sustained stretch. So the hope is that tonight is the start of that. Um, obviously, it's been a little while uh, since the Clippers have, have not just gotten all their guys together, but gotten them all together for a sustained stretch of like, you know, four, five, six, ten games in a row. Like, when was the last time we saw that? Not this year. Uh, I tweeted it out the other day. You know, let me go find the tweet while I'm on the topic right now. Uh, If you didn't see it, I'll read it to you right now. I read the Clippers injury situation. It was when man had been uh, in concussion protocol. So Kawhi played two games to start the year. While I'm on the topic, I'll get into this. Kawhi played two games to start the year, missed the next 12. He returned and then Luke got hurt. Kawhi and PG played two games together and then PG gets hurt. The next game, Kawhi gets hurt and Kawhi and PG missed the next six games. And before they're able to return, Norman Powell gets hurt, and he's still hurt. And then Kawhi, PG, and Luke return on the same game, and Terrence Mann goes down with a concussion. Fortunately, he's back now. But that's kind of been the story of the Clippers, not just this year, but since Kawhi Leonard and Paul George joined. So not only do they feel as if this is a big stretch of games because they're going against some of the better teams in the league, but they also have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George back, at least for tonight. (laughs) I'm not guaranteeing that for anything beyond tonight. Um, I guess I'm banking on the fact that, you know, those guys get hurt coming off the bus or, you know, stepping out of their car, Lord willing, that doesn't happen. So they should be here tonight. Um, so like I said, not only is this a stretch of games where you're going against some better teams, but you're also hopefully going to have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George 
for three of the four games. You're not going to have them together for all four because Kawhi's going to rest one of those. But you should have them for three of the next four games. It's a good opportunity to build some momentum and see where you're at as a group because reps are everything right now for the clip. So those are the next four games. I think this is going to be a very defining stretch for the Clippers. Lord willing, they can actually stay healthy for it because if they can hang with Boston, if they can hang with Phoenix, shoot, even Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota's been, you know, hovering around that same, you know, 500 game above 500 ish record the Clippers have had all season long. So that could be a team that you find yourself, uh, you know, bunched up with in the standings as the season starts to wind down. So, of course, you want to get those head to heads against them. It's going to be a big game. So, big time four game stretch coming up for the Clips. Like I said, Lord willing, they can stay healthy, and I'm excited. I'm especially excited for tonight. I'm excited to see Blake. I'm excited to see uh, Musa, who got called up, which I'm going to get into in segment number two, which is actually coming up right now. We talked about the last four games. We talked about the next four games, but let's get into what we do on this show, and that's break down conversation topics around the L.A. Clippers. You know what? I'm going to start with Musa. I was actually going to start with Kawhi, but I'm going to start with Musa because right before I hit record on this episode, we got an update on the injury report that Musa Diabate had been called up for tonight's game. Now it came with a bit of a, <laughs> it was a bit of a bittersweet announcement because the announcement was that Musa had been called up, but then it said right below that that zoo had been downgraded to questionable because he has a sore groin now at the moment. How legitimate is that? I'm not 100% sure. Zoo is a guy who's really tough to get off the floor. Um, He's been the Clippers' Iron Man for really the last four seasons, so I definitely am not going to speculate that it's the Clippers is trying to buy a rest day for him because he's a hard guy to do that with. Um, But that could be part of why he's missing this game because he's the type of guy that even if he did have like a bit of a tweak uh, he'd probably try to play through it um so perhaps you know he did feel a little something and the medical staff said okay let's shut this down let's get you a rest day here today and get you ready for that back-to-back with minnesota and phoenix and that's if he even doesn't play i mean he's, he's downgraded to questionable so perhaps he ends up you know giving it a go but my sense is with them calling up musa uh it's probably you know a pretty foregone conclusion right now that zoo's not gonna go tonight um so because of that musa is up and he deserves to be up. Even if Zoo is 100% healthy, Musa deserves to be up because he should be the team's backup center right now. I did a long deep dive piece on him on SI. You guys can go find it. I posted it on Twitter. Uh, I, I talked about it on my Instagram as well. I, I'm just so high on Musa. I'm so high on his ability to contribute at the NBA level. I think his skill set trans, translates directly to the NBA. I think the Clippers really essentially everything they need in their backup center roles, everything that Musa already does well as a 20 year old. Um, So I would love to see him out there, especially since the team is actually playing Moses Brown. I think it would be different if the Clippers weren't playing a center and they were, you know, just going small and using Rocco as the backup five. I'm going to get a Rocco a little bit later too. Uh, kind of like we anticipated they would at the beginning of the season, but that's not the case. They're not even playing small that often. Like they are having stretches of small ball, but that isn't like their plan A anymore uh, every single game where they don't just completely disregard a backup center and play small. Moses Brown has been checking in like almost on a game by game basis. And in my eyes, and it's nothing against Moses. I don't want people to think that I don't like him because I honestly do. He works incredibly hard. He plays incredibly hard. Um, It's not his fault that I don't think his skill set fits what the Clippers need. So it's nothing against Moses, but, you know, when you're having to switch on to 
you know, guys on the perimeter, either that's your option or you got to play drop. You know, it's tough against some of these more sophisticated teams because you know, the Clippers have opted to play a very deep drop coverage with Moses, which is really the only thing you can do with him. And uh, it's allowed teams, and you saw Miami do it, to really pick on that and put Moses in every single pick and roll, force him to to drop super deep. And then you either have, you know, a wide open mid-range jump shot or you can take him all the way to the basket and challenge him at the rim. So with Musa, it's completely different because he's able to actually switch onto smaller players. We saw him blow up several DHOs uh, against Portland in that comeback win. He was doing the same against Utah, even though the Clippers didn't come back and win that game. So not only is he switchable and versatile defensively, but he is a lot more advanced offensively than Moses Brown is. He's got touch around the rim. He's very athletic. He's got a bit of a post game. He actually can stretch it out a little bit as well. He would never be asked to do that uh, in the NBA, but he actually does have a bit of a three-point shot um, in his arsenal. So it's a little bit frustrating to see uh, Moses continue to get minutes, especially after that stretch that Musa had uh, when he got called up, when the Clippers were so shorthanded and he played fantastic in that Portland game, played great against Utah as well. And has been dominating the G League. I mean, he is coming off of back-to-back 2020 games in the G League. I could pull it up and get you guys the exact stats on what he's done his last few games down in the G. He has been an absolute dog down there in the G League, just destroying dudes down there. Uh, In his last game, he had 24 points, 20 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 blocks. Shot 69% from the field. The game before that, he had 28 points, 23 rebounds, Three assists, one block, one steal, and shot 65% from the field. Both of those were wins, and he was a huge plus-minus positive in that game, uh, both of those games as well. So he's going to be back up for the Clips tonight, which I think is absolutely the right move. Uh, He's been great for the Clippers um, when he's been up, and he's been great for the Ontario Clippers when he's been down. So super excited to see Musa get a shot tonight. (laughs) It'll be very interesting if he goes up against Blake because they're like two very different players. Uh, Blake is obviously, uh, he stretches it out a little bit more now, shoots a lot of threes, um, high IQ guy, obviously not a lot of length, not a lot of lift. Whereas Musa is playing around the basket. He's got a lot of length and a lot of lift. So if they end up starting against each other, which I imagine Musa would probably start if zoo can't go, I think that would make the most sense. I can't imagine them starting Moses against JT and, uh, Brown, but I guess we'll see. Um, so that's the Musa situation. He's up tonight, which I'm excited about. Although I hope zoo is all right. And this isn't something that's going to last more than one game. If he even, you know, doesn't play tonight, but, uh, going beyond Musa, I did say, I I wanted to talk about Rocco because I mean, really the only reason why we're talking about Musa is because the Clippers aren't playing Robert Covington. Uh, I think a lot of us, myself included coming into the season, thought Robert Covington was going to be the backup center. Uh, I thought that the Clippers were going to lean heavily into small ball with Rocco because he's a better rebounder uh, than some of their other wings. Uh, he's a better defender than some of their other wings. He, you know, can do a lot of different things with his switching, with his hands, uh, with his help defense. So I thought that he was going to be firmly in the rotation, and that has not been the case. Uh, Brandon Boston Jr. is getting minutes ahead of Robert Covington. Moses Brown is getting minutes ahead of Robert Covington. And people keep asking me, they're like, Joey, what's going on with Rocco? And all I can report is all I've heard. And I've already posted it on Twitter. Ty Lue has thanked Rocco for being a pro and for, 
you know, letting them try things out. But I think at this point, it's gone a little bit beyond that. I don't think they're just trying things out anymore. I truly do think that Rocco's out of the rotation. Does that mean a trade is coming? I don't know. I can't speak to that. I haven't heard that. Uh, but I, I agree with some people who think the writing is perhaps on the wall with that. Uh, one thing I don't believe and don't agree with is that it's like a personal thing. I, I've heard some people say that, like, there's got to be some personal beef with Rocco and Ty Lue. I don't believe that's the case at all. I, I've heard nothing about that. I, I, I've seen nothing to indicate that that's the case. So I definitely wouldn't speculate that, although I do understand why people think it's weird and makes no sense. Um, so that's the Rocco situation. I, if he hasn't gotten a shot by now with Moses, you know, getting minutes with BBJ getting minutes. I mean, BBJ is, is now leapfrogged uh, Amir coffee and uh, Robert Covington in the rotation. I don't necessarily think this because of like some super stellar play. Cause he's been, I mean, pretty mediocre. I think uh, it's just been that Rocco for whatever reason is out and Amir hasn't been too good. So it's tough. I kind of feel for Rocco because, I mean, although he did just sign an extension, he's getting paid good money. Um, and if he does end up somewhere else, he will still be getting paid good money. And unless I'm mistaken, I think he actually has an option for the next year on his deal. Um, maybe it's a team option. I have to double check on that. But, I mean, he is getting paid good money. Uh, hopefully he's doing all right in terms of being on the outside looking in. It seems like he's always up cheering on the guys, always in a good mood in the locker room. Uh, so, you know, shout out Rocco for being a true pro. Me personally, I disagree with the fact that he's been the odd man out in the rotation. I don't think it makes any sense. I would rather play him as a small ball center than rely on Moses for any minutes at all. Um, but and I'd I'd rather have Musa play the backup center than than either or of them. So you know, it's interesting to see how the Clippers have approached the situation. Uh, not how I would have done it, but also don't get paid to make those decisions. I you know get paid to talk about it. So <laughs> that's my insight. That's my opinion on the Rocco situation. But I want to circle back a little bit. Uh, to actually what I initially planned on talking about at the top of this segment, because I figured it would be a, a pretty smooth transition from segment number one. One of the things that I talked about at the beginning of this episode was the fact that the Clippers had been stuck in dogfights with three bad teams. You know, Miami's mediocre, call it three and a half bad teams over the last four games. Two of those were losses. Two of them were wins, but none of them were good performances by the Clippers. And that's something that you don't feel great about uh, going into a stretch like you're going into right now against a bunch of very good teams. I tweeted it out. I ended up deleting the tweet, not because I didn't agree with it, but because I realized that there was a typo. Um, I tweeted it out. I and unfortunately I'm not verified. I don't got the edit tweet option anymore. So if I got a bad typo, I just got to, I got to either leave it or scrap it. But the tweet was, uh, this has now been, I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember word for word, but I tweeted some iteration of this has now been three straight games where the Clippers or four straight games where the Clippers have played down to the level of a bad opponent. And I said, I'm not even sure you can call it playing down to the level of a bad opponent anymore. I just don't think the Clippers are very good right now. And like I said, I deleted it that night because I realized that I, instead of been, I said being, and it was just bugging the heck out of me. I didn't want that on my on my thing, so I deleted it. But again, I obviously I'm talking about it now. I'm trying, not trying to run from that tweet. I stand by what I said. And I, I still think that that's honestly more of the case than the Clippers playing down to the level of their opponent. Are they better even at this stage in the season than Orlando? Yes. Are they better than Charlotte? Yes. Are they better than Washington? They should be. But you look at the way that they've played this year, 
And all, you know, really all that's just speculation. All that's on paper. You look at the product that they put on the floor and they really haven't been that much better than anybody. I think with the way that they've played so far this year and, and the inconsistency that they've had and, you know, Kawhi has yet to be Kawhi, which is what I'm going to close the, the segment in the show talking about. They can lose to anybody. So it becomes really easy to say, oh, it's effort. It's bad effort. It's they're playing down to the level of their opponent. I try to stay away from that because uh, I think it's just too, it's too bland of analysis. And in all honesty, how can, how can I know that? How can I know that from my couch, the Clippers aren't giving the right effort? You know, I think it's a lot harder to actually locate that than some people who just kind of throw that word around think. So I don't necessarily think it's bad effort. If anything, it could be fatigue. If it looks like bad effort, I think it's more fatigue than it is just them willingly going out there and playing soft. Like, I, I just can't see that, especially since this group hasn't won anything. They, they can't approach games like they're champions. So I don't think that's the case. But I do think they're fatigued. I do think they're not quite as good as we thought that they perhaps should be at this point and they definitely don't have chemistry that not i'm not talking about off-court problems i'm on the floor they don't have chemistry or consistency and this is a product of them not having games together so when you talk about effort you talk about playing down to the level of their opponent i think all of that needs to be factored in they just aren't that good right now and does that mean they can't eventually be good and go on a run and get better and win a championship of course not i think they absolutely could I still think the pieces are in place for that to potentially happen. But as things stand currently, don't be surprised when they lose to the, you know, Miamis of the world. Orlando, I'll give you that one. That was bad. <laughs> that one was bad. I'll let you be upset about that. I'll let you be surprised about it. I'll let you be upset about all of them. But I'm just saying, don't be surprised when they lose to some of these like medium bad teams because, you know, on a lot of nights, the Clippers have been medium to bad as well. So that's that. I, as as promised, I wanted to end the show talking about Kawhi uh, because I think, you know, there, there's a lot of nuance with his situation. Has he looked good so far? Uh, I would say for the most part, not really. Um, I think there's been some flashes of optimism, specifically on the defensive end. I think he's actually looked a lot further along than I anticipated. Offensively, his playmaking has remained elite. I think some of his quickness, you're seeing bursts where um, that looks pretty close to where it's been in the past, but his touch is just, for whatever reason, uh, nowhere to be found right now. That's both around the rim and that's on his on his three-point shot. So he has struggled to to regain form and to kind of uh, get back in, into the swing of things, which is to be expected. Not only did he miss an entire year, but he came back and played two games and then missed 12 more and then missed another two weeks after that with an ankle. So I'm not saying that he's washed. I think that's going too far. But I will say that as of right now, he doesn't look like the player that the Clippers will eventually need him to be if they want to get to where they want to get uh, or where they want to get to. So in terms of being worried about him, I don't think that's really something we should be doing yet. Uh, he's only played like a half a dozen, seven games, something like that. I don't think he's played 10 games yet this season. So I wouldn't say I'm worried about him yet, but I do think it's important to acknowledge that he just hasn't been at the level the Clippers need him to be at. And, you know, that's their their record reflects that. And, you know, that just is what it is right now with the way that they're, they're ramping him back up. I mean, the dude came off the bench for two games, and then he's been on a minutes restriction for all of his others. So uh, I would say just give him a little bit more time. 
Uh, but I do see what you guys see that he does not look like himself out there. Although I will probably uh, take a little bit more optimistic approach about some of the flashes that I have seen. But the Clippers, there is no doubt, there's no getting around the fact that unless they make like some blockbuster trade out of left field, they will need Kawhi Leonard to be a much better version of himself than he has been so far. And he would probably tell you that as well. It just is the fact of the matter. So those are the main talking points that I wanted to break down here in this episode. It was Musa who's got called up tonight. It was Rocco who has kind of inexplicably uh, inexplicably been out of the rotation. Uh, and it's the dog fights that they've had with some bad teams. And it's the Kawhi situation. Outside of that, we're going to just kind of have to wait and see how the Clippers develop over these next few games. Because up until that Miami game, they had played the second easiest schedule in basketball and the easiest schedule in the Western Conference, which means what? They're going to have the most difficult schedule in the Western Conference or the NBA, depending on, you know, if you look at ESPN or some of those other like Tankathon and other sites, uh, they're going to have one of the two hardest schedules remaining the rest of the way. And that pretty much starts tonight uh, in Boston. So the Clippers are going to be tested and they're going to be tested starting like right when I get off this podcast. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Uh, I mean, they haven't been great so far this year. But again, I believe the pieces are in place, and now it's just a matter of getting that consistency, getting that chemistry. Uh, but but watch it with a close eye and 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 see if that's actually developing, because at some point uh, becomes a little bit too late to keep saying that it's early, if you know what I mean. So it'll be interesting to see how these next four games go. I'm excited, and I will get back with you guys next Monday. I appreciate you guys listening, and as always, much love and go Clippers.